From the crossroads of America and the Hoosier state of Indiana, this is Get In, the podcast focused on the unfolding stories and extraordinary innovations happening right now in the heartland. I'm Matt Hunkler, CEO at Powder Keg, and I'll be one of your hosts for today's conversation. I'm joined in studio by co-host Nate Spangle, head of community at Powder Keg. And on the show today is Bailey Rayford, CEO of Kendall Logan Logistics. And just be like, oh, my weight, my, my shoulders have been heavy because I couldn't release this or I couldn't talk about this to certain groups. And then when you find those certain groups, it just you're such at ease. Bailey Rayford is the CEO at Kendall Logan Logistics, a black woman-owned logistics company based in Indianapolis. And it's a very interesting business. Kendall Logan has an all-women leadership team, decades of experience in the supply chain industry, and does a ton of work in the skincare industry, pharmaceuticals, and medical equipment, working with big customers like Walmart. And on the show today, in this conversation, we're going to discuss how to land large partnerships to accelerate growth, using business as a force multiplier for good, and we're gonna share some startup stories that are sure to inspire new ideas and perspectives in your own career. Here's Bailey Rayford. Bailey, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here with you two today. You have such a cool company, and I, I logistics is something that is like very much outside of my comfort zone. So I hope just you'll forgive me uh, with my ignorance as we dive into all things supply chain and logistics. Sure. But I, I would love it if you could, for the audience, just explain your business, what it is that you do with Kendall Logan. And yeah, maybe just the high level view of the business would be really helpful. Okay. Again, thank you for having me today. Kendall Logan is a third party logistics firm. Every day we are shipping, we're kidding, we're providing fulfillment distribution, warehousing, and some small local, I say within central Indiana, transportation services. We're moving product to pharmaceutical, drugstores, B2B retailers, and we're also fulfilling direct-to-consumer. Yeah. Oh, so you're like picking, shipping individual individual pieces direct to people's doors? So what we do is, for example, if you had a business and you wanted to have a fulfillment partner, you would ship your product to us. Mm -hmm. And through our warehouse management system and the technology that we use, your orders now come to us. It bypasses you or you have access to see it as well, but we are actually seeing those orders come through too. As we see the orders every day, we pick the items, whatever process and layout you have of how you want your boxing to look, what do you want in there, inserts, marketing materials. Mm. We put those items in there to your, to your as specific as you want it, and we are the ones who are delivering it to your customers. So fascinating. How did you get started? It feels like at scale, that works really well, right? You have this big warehouse, you have a ton of customers, right? So you're picking and packing maybe five orders for this business, five orders for that business, 10 for that one. Mm -hmm. How do you get started though, if it's just like one or two customers and not very much order volume? So ironically, when I pre-COVID, I would say probably six months prior to COVID, it's amazing how timelines work. I know, um, time warp. I've always had my hand in transportation, logistics, meaning dispatching, brokering, but I always consider that's the last mile when it comes to transportation. And I'll be honest, in our community, when someone says I'm in logistics, you usually say, how many trucks do you have? <laughs> so there was a knowledge and there was a part of this entire process. To me, that's never talked about for career pathways, entrepreneurship, professional careers, as it relates to every part of the shipping or placing that order or designing that order to the delivery. So I call it the guts. So nobody really talked about the guts inside. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I don't know, I woke up, I just had my second child and I was like, I wanna figure out something else that I can make money with. Still have my flexibility with my kids. My husband has a demanding job, so I do know the importance of being a wife. And I just decided I wanna learn more about warehousing. Ironically, I ran into or met a gentleman who owned a third party logistics company in Hendricks County, and I don't know even how it even came. It was like very quick. He was like, what do you want to do? And I was like, I really want to learn warehousing. And he was like, okay, you can learn as much as you want to. So I'm grateful for that. 
Because yeah. he could have easily said to me, well, you're not going to learn my secret sauce. Yeah. Mm. Um, what kind of business was that? It, it was literally the, the same, same business. but yeah. it was in a million square foot facility. <laughs> yeah. To the corner, you were working in automotives. To the other corner, you were working in technology and testing. You were in the back working in pharmaceuticals. He had two more facilities in the city. One was completely cold chain. You still had a e-commerce, B2B, D2C section. So everything you actually could ever want to learn wow. just happened to all be in the same building. And, so. and you went and, and worked there? I did. I became, I call myself his 40-year-old intern. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I woke up one day and I just decided to go and literally just learn. And what, what do you think aspiring entrepreneurs can gain from going to work in entrepreneurship, being the 40-year-old intern before they start their business? I think what they can learn is just sometimes we have to humble if if you have the opportunity i was blessed yes to have the opportunity to just go and dive in um, a lot of people can't do that just for resources or financial and, and there's no issue with that uh, but i think what they can learn is when you're in that space and you're not necessarily an employee you really get to see the good the bad the ugly mm-hmm. um you know I, I saw where um a scope would come in monday and quick turnaround to have a pricing to them by Wednesday. I'm like, we just got this on Monday. He was like, I don't care. They they asked for it. This is something they need ready real time. You saw the ins and out of just the working on Saturdays or the, the, the late evenings after everybody else had gone home. You were during COVID. It was extremely critical because at this point you're essential. Mm -hmm. Your hands are on a lot of the vaccines. We see it on TV. We hear about it on national news but no one really ever talked about the back office and the buildings and the people who are working. I think that we had Connor Hitchcock of Homefield on the show a little bit ago, and, and he talked about Black Friday. Oh, it's so great for all these orders to come in, but what you don't see is him and all of his employees working until 2 a.m. trying to make sure that the shipping times are down and that their customers are getting their products. And through holidays, weekends, nights, like, I think we kind of, with the Amazon age, right? We take for granted, oh, it's gonna show up the same day. Someone's gotta be pulling that off the shelf, packaging that up and shipping it out. Yes, and I think a lot of times, Amazon has changed the business. Because even though I'm not an Amazon, my customer, who, who is the owner, whose products I'm shipping, they still want their customer to feel that they're getting the Amazon experience. Mm-hmm. So that takes on resources for us to be able to think, wow, I've got to have the same, I've got to have a warehouse management system that's going to turn around quickly the, the, the tracking numbers, things with just small things. I'm going to have people who are working because now if they paid for the expedited shipping and they just decided today at this time to order, but they decided to pay the extra $20 and they want it there tomorrow. How does that fit into what I already got going on today? So when you see those red flags pop up, you're like, wait, those 50 orders now have to go into your daily work. So that sometimes means now I've got to pay overtime to somebody or mm. I'm going to become the labor. I'm just going to do it when everybody goes home or I'm going to come in on a weekend myself and I'm going to actually do this just to keep my customer happy. It's pretty incredible that you had that opportunity to go in and see at that scale the kind of business that you wanted to start. And I feel I'd love to just slow down a second and Ask a little bit more about that experience of meeting that person, that owner of that business. How did that conversation go? How did you present yourself? How did you even get into a conversation with this person in the first place? Because sometimes I feel like that kind of connection clearly was life-changing for you Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. A lot of times I think people don't know how to facilitate or manufacture out of thin air seemingly those kinds of life-changing connections. So I'd, I'd like to go back and say, I grew up in an entrepreneurial household. Yeah. That's- sometimes the ask, sometimes even, you know what, I don't know everything about this, but what I do know is I want to back up the last mile. I just don't want to be at the end. I want to be in the middle or closer to the front as possible. Because what I noticed is I can negotiate more towards the front. By the time I get to that last mile in trucking, there's no negotiation anymore. Mm. You're taking what's left. And you got to have to be happy with it. Why? Because you need to move those trucks. So I'm like, no, we're going to move it. I'll start to say my family, my dad started a company here, my mom 50 years ago, very small business. 
So allowing my brothers and I to still sit in the room, be in the space, good day, bad day, being watching them say, I don't know how to do this, but I know someone who does. So watching like your parents do that, then it comes to me second nature. Mm -hmm. And I always live by if I don't know something and if it's something I want, I'm going to go seek out and find people who do. And I'm literally going to become a sponge. So fact, but I didn't know him. He, I was assisting another group with dispatching their trucks. And this individual had given them the opportunity mm. to basically partner with him as around, like you just said, Black Friday, about a big company, to be honest. I'm like, there is no way this man is going to allow you to use his assets and build your business. What's the catch? And I think I probably said that a thousand times. <laughs> um, but now I know him. I know there was not a catch. That is just exactly how his DNA is built. And he knew how people had helped him get started in his business. And he was living his life to pass it on. Um, so I got to work with him and learn him in those capacities literally at first. And then, um, and, I, and it wasn't necessarily me starting a business in warehousing. It was me wanting to just, ex, you know, expand my knowledge. Mm -hmm. And it could have been time because I was considering a professional opportunity once my son got a little older. Sure. Um, how I got to the point of saying I'm going to do this for a business was later on. Um, I had started really diving in, and he was allowing me to sit at the table. And we had an opportunity with some founders, small company, that were being started in healthcare, skin care, um, vitamin supplements. They didn't have large um, minimum orders. So that's where the five to ten a day were coming in. Well, a lot of times those, they can't go out and get a third-party logistics partner mm -hmm. in that process. What happens is they're told, oh, you don't have enough quantity. Yep. Or um, call us when you get to 500 orders. Well, that could be forever. Right. But many of them had been given some great um, direct-to-consumer opportunities and uh, platforms because of COVID and everyone was home. But... They also, because of the unfortunate death of me of George Floyd, a lot of these companies were just like opening doors and cutting some of the timing of, you know, the discovery or marketing um, of some of these small companies too, just to allow them to some of their black business launches, mm -hmm. some of, you know, increasing um, the visibility on stage uh, on some of their stories. So with that, I had started working with them. And in working with them, I just noticed they didn't understand logistics. Yeah. The products look good. The products smell good. But when it came to getting their product there and that huge booklet that comes from that distribution center, they had no idea how to maneuver in it. And that's like making a first impression, right? Like you, your item shows up at your door and it's very easy to, to, to tell people who like Apple, for instance, like when my new iPhone showed up like a year or two ago. <laughs> It's a heck of an experience to open an iPhone, you know, like it is like, wow, this is, this is sweet. Versus when something's like, I feel like direct to cons like, uh, shipped from China and it's like uh, drop shipped and it shows up and it's like, thank goodness it made it here. Like it's like taped <laughs> together by the seams. It's easy to tell that. Right. And so imagine being in your apartment in LA in New York and you design this product and you've been working on the perfect formula, and it's worked. And now you're selling it to your friends. You're selling it to the little market around the corner. Now you build out a website. So now you're okay because I'm still at home. I still can package it. I still can ship out 50 orders a week by myself. And then you get a phone call from an Ulta or a Sephora or a Target um, or a JCPenney. And they're saying, hey, you're not going to dollar stores, but we'll give you this kind of, start and pilot program and you're like wait I didn't even for some of them they had no idea this day would ever come and they didn't even build a business to even support it mm -hmm. so they were like we don't even have barcodes on our product because this wasn't <laughs> this wasn't what we were doing however so that quickly their business scaled shifted um, they had to pivot and some of them even didn't have to pivot now you got both business both parts going at one time so we're like, wait, this is where it's critical to have a logistics partner. 
You need to know how to move it. You need to understand the timelines. You need to understand what their distribution centers are requiring. You need to understand how to have your product leak proof, how to make sure the spacers are in there, understand the quantity counts, understand the location of your barcode, when it's going through the scanner of that retailer, where they want it located. All those things are critical. Yeah, like imagine getting that call up to the big leagues, you know, Alta yeah, calls. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> and you're like, okay, like how do I ship that from my 500 square foot New York apartment? You know, exactly. Like, like you're shipping pallets. Like that just seems like a crazy one, a crazy cool opportunity for those founders that are that are having that opportunity, but also very overwhelming. It's like, oh, I know about marketing and Facebook, and I can sell a bunch of uh, a bunch of my product. And then you're like, but B2B, big box store. Like that's, that's challenging for sure. So I started working with them um, while I was at the larger um, location, um, facility. And then unfortunately the company was going to be acquired. And during that acquisition period, um, some of these founders felt like they didn't know if they were going to get the same support um, by the new owners. And it wasn't an issue with the new owner. It's just their focus. They were wanting to be on that top minimum. And it's like, wait, we're not still not there yet. But what I also found out by working with them, they had two things that they really wanted to do. They wanted to stay in Indiana or in the Midwest. They thought it was great for them for shipping. Um, and they why, want, why is that? Why is Indiana a hotbed for logistics? Well, the Midwest is because you usually can get something anywhere within a certain amount of time. And like I said, we're still on the Amazon. I want it. I ordered it at eight. I want it at eight thirty. You know, I want it as quickly as possible. So being in the Midwest, you usually have the flexibility. Plus, you have major hubs here. You have FedEx here who you can really just move quick, quick, quick. Um you have Amazon, who has some of their regional facilities within, you know, Greenfield or just here in Indiana. So it allows companies, especially smaller ones, to be able to feel like we can still meet those requirements. Mm -hmm. And it does. It works well. We just had um, Masa from uh, Paco, which is a direct-to-consumer vegan or plant-based food, dog food company. Mm -hmm. And they won the rally in prize oh, yeah, yeah. competition for uh, Food Nag. And she said, so she's Bay Area, lives in San Francisco. And she's like, well, even before rally, we were already exploring the Midwest for our like shipping and production hub because it's a one day drive anywhere in the country. Yes. And it's like, that's, that's game changer versus if you're trying to ship from, I imagine like San Francisco to Maine, that's a really, really, really long drive. Oh, and think about how COVID changed the way we think everybody's at home, regardless of where you are in the country mm -hmm. or in the world, everybody's home. Everybody wants whatever. They couldn't go to certain stores. They couldn't, you know, certain things they just couldn't go pick up anymore. They didn't have access to just the, the normal way of living. So the normal way that became was we'll send it to you regardless of where we are. We just happened to just be in a great part of the country that really made that process easy. There's been such an explosion of these direct-to-consumer brands over the last 10 years because of the internet and social media marketing. What are some of the biggest mistakes that you see direct-to-consumer brands, companies that are selling a product, make? The discovery period. Um, and it's just like any other entrepreneur. We wake up every day thinking we know it. We've got, ours is the best. It's great. But I think the discovery period, and I struggled one time at my mistakes. I felt like for me, the discovery, I was in it. I was in it in a different capacity than when I shifted. I shifted to now everything comes back on me compared to me literally being able to lateral it to someone, another CEO. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you know, there's nowhere to pass the ball to. So you're either going to run to score or you're going to be in the back of your mind. You always know you're going to get sacked. <laughs> Yeah. You know, so. Um. That's, that's a football term, Matt. I know you're a big sports guy. <laughs> yes. So the discovery period very much is like the research, gathering uh, data, talking to potential customers. Tell me a little bit more about like a good discovery period process. A, di a good discovery process is, yes, you can have your product. You should have a third party relationship to go in and test your product. If your product's going on the shelf somewhere in a business to, uh, in a B2B opportunity, you're, you should know how long that product should be on the shelf. Mm -hmm. You know, um, you should 
build a relationship, I'll say, with a third-party tester. You should actually do some shipping prior to your big shipments just to know timing, how long it takes to get there. You should have a relationship with your distribution group. Um, when we take on a new customer, we require, even for us, we require a two- to three-week um, pilot process. From the time I get your product to the time I ship, whatever date you tell me, you're going to back it up because I've already shipped three times. I don't care if you tell me to ship it to your house so you can see what, what the, our process looks like. But before I ship it or before it goes to anything representing our company and your company, we've already done those processes in-house. Yeah, you don't want to be doing yeah. that real time. Right. I, I think that some people, when they start these e-commerce businesses, what they forget about, it, it's really easy to ship something direct to consumer. Like the packaging doesn't matter as much you know, from like just getting it there but versus shipping to a place like Ulta or any of these big boxes. I know we can talk about your, what you've been doing with Walmart, which I'm really excited to hear about, but it's like the order matters, how it shows up there, barcodes, packaging, what's it going to look like on a shelf? Like people start reaching out like, oh, wouldn't it be so cool if I got my product in Ulta, but I've never gone into Ulta and looked at a shelf right. and, and seen like, oh, this is how mascara, like tray designs are one of my buddies works at welch packaging here in town and they sell he literally sells cardboard boxes but he i thought oh it's just cardboard boxes like what do you mean so much <laughs> intricate detail in the packaging industry as he likes to call it yes i think um so for example we talk about walmart so we do ship a farmer product um into walmart we are shipping right now into 32 of the distribution centers today what kind, what kind of product? It's a pharmaceutical, just it's a, on the shelf pharma product. Um, it's based out of the UK, so we are their North America distributor. Are there different requirements from like, I don't know, like from a shipping perspective for FDA type pharmaceutical, food, that kind of thing versus Absolutely. like a, a widget? It is. Um, so we did have to go through the process and we're actually still in the process of having our company FDA certified. Mm. So that allows us to pack out medical devices that allows us to basically do the end user packaging for companies. So a company has a product in another part of the world, um, but we can assist them and be their North, North America distributor, meaning can come to us and then we can manage all their orders here in the U.S. and Canada. Um, so we're actually in that process now to even expand that even more. Um, but absolutely, when you think of like a box, you know, it's not just a box. You know, it could be a certain size, certain width. Um, it comes down to even if you're shipping it or not just on a pallet, if you're shipping one offs to and you're using UPS, what's that cost? The cost is different for the size of that, you know, material. Um, how many times we call them touches? How many times are we going to touch this box? You know, that's how we literally build out our price list, too. Tell me how many times we're going to do this sample. And in our um, pricing quote, when we do it, we want to know how many times an employee is going to touch this box. It's going to be five labels. It could be stuffing material in the, in the inside of the box. It could be reshaping the box. You know, but how many times when we just design our pricing and our price point and our quotes, we're quick to say, how many times, I, I probably say that more than anything, how many times you touch the box? When you first started shadowing this entrepreneur that you met uh, early in your logistics career, I know you said you were exploring potentially professional opportunities, mm -hmm. not just an entrepreneurial opportunity. What was the deciding factor for you? Take me back to that moment when you decided, you know what, I could go and you know get a salaried position uh, at some point, but I, I think I actually want to start my own thing. Um, so it was prayer. It was um, literally strong conversation with my husband. Yeah. Because I do have two kids. And um, the pivotal point for me was these group of founders that I had been working with since their infancy, um, like I said, still there at their warehouse with him. I heard that they were leaving and I heard that they wanted to stay in the Midwest. And I also heard um, that they wanted to have a minority partner. Um, many of them were, my, all of them were minority, um, women, Hispanic, black um, businesses. But that was a part of their collab, mm -hmm. um, that the, every part of that ecosystem, 
they wanted to find a woman-owned business or a racial equity partner to be a part of it. And I knew they were looking at other parts of the country to seek out those check boxes. But I kept hearing, we want to stay in the Midwest. Um, they were up against launches as well. So when you think when someone says, we're putting you on our shelf November 1, and it's May or June, well, you're already in that process because your product probably has to be with them in the next 30 days to get to their distribution centers so they can kit it out to go in their kits that are going to go in 75 to 100 stores around the country. So all that timeline made sense. So they were worried, too, that, one, if we change now, we, we take a risk of not being prepared because now we've got to build that relationship back up, and we have to figure out we have to make sure that they can give us what we need, and we have to make sure that we can be where we need to be. Luckily, I'd already been in the room with them. Mm. I had sat through, so I knew exactly their timing. I also knew from a processing place, like the technology that was being used. I also knew like the requirements from the Walmarts, the the, the you know the EDI EDSs. So I just. I literally just went on a whim, and I was like, let's go figure out where we can do this um, and start off small and see if, you know, we can execute it. So that's probably – it was that simple but scary at the same time. What was the key factor that got them to take a chance on you? Um, I think because I was already in the building. Um, it's easy sometimes just to – connect and don't get me wrong we still had our hiccups when we got started you know we still had things that weren't showing up on our system we still had orders that were not coming through so we still had our processes that had to be you know done um and we still had our own growth period of being a new business um but a, a lot of times i think still what helps is there's not many partners out here that would take a 20 order um, or you're going to replenish, but you're only replenishing every three to six months. So it's not like your products are moving off the shelf every day and you need to replenish it every week or every whatever. Um, so to build that kind of business for a small business to basically get that um, opportunity is, is still not really out there. So you kind of identified this opportunity because you saw this bigger business that was kind of like, we can't really service this smaller business and you knew from your experience that there were smaller businesses out there that uh, you could start a, a very lucrative business that could scale if you kind of got the aggregate of lots of different customers I, I mean for example I'm meeting with seven new founders tonight amazing oh. and um, they're the same way many of them are packaging in their homes mm -hmm. Um, but I'm like, what if we could have, um, they're packaging, they're doing their formulas at their house, they're doing their bottling at their house, mm -hmm. um, and they've got great product, and they're getting a lot of buzz, but I'm like, let's pull this out of your house. Yeah. Oh, you know? I, I have stories. I started an <laughs> e-commerce brand um, four or five years ago, and you kind of always dream when you're like in the e-commerce play of like, oh, Black Friday when we're like up till 2 a.m. shipping. It's going to be so fun. At least I did. I was like, That'll be so fun. Then I did it once. And it's and not like, fun. No, no, I'm out on this. Like, like you get like a hundred orders and, and you're just like taping the same thing yep. over and over. Like you're putting in there, you're getting paper cuts on your hands and you're like, this was really fun for the story the one time. But like, that's like the life of running an e-commerce brand out of your house, you know? So, and those are the customers that I want to be able to assist. It's great to have larger companies and your warehousing for them, but a different business unit that we can offer because we still have labor in the building. Mm -hmm. um, I'm like, we can do that 20, 50 order, 100 order. What's so, the biggest misconception about the logistics industry? That it's just trucking. You know, that is just trucking. Mm -hmm. um, the logistics industry, unless you're in it um, every day, and you see the different movements and requirements. It's not just trucking. I think another myth is, is the female presence. A lot of times you work in warehouses and you walk on those warehousing floors and you'll see the pack outs, you'll see the kitting, you'll see the labor on the manufacturing floor. You'll see the forklift drivers, the lift drivers, women. 
So I think to me that that was one of the misconceptions I had when walking in the building and you see for every one man, there's two women or more. Really? It's women. Women aren't necessarily the owners um, of these businesses. However, they are in inside. You see a tremendous amount of women who are making sure these steps are handled and that, you know, these companies are successful. There's so many new technologies, autonomous vehicles, AI, big data. What are some of the technology trends you're most excited about for logistics and supply chain? I think the AI helps um, with some of the technology of working with the founders um, and also figuring out ways to streamline the processes for a less human era. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's when you think of um, the packouts and the picking and, you know, even the, the fulfillment and the distribution part, finding ways to remove the errors and be more precise, your quality checks. Those technologies are becoming more with robots. Yeah. Um, I think AI is going to play a pivotal role in that, too. We're actually looking at technology now. As soon as the boxes is dropped at our door, we don't have to touch it, but we can actually have technology that's going to immediately pick it up. As soon as we, you know, and I'll take a step back, I said we don't touch it, but once we put a label on it, like as soon as it's dropped from that UPS or FedEx to our bay door, that label's going on it. And when that label goes on it, we're, that, that's literally where the hand-holding stops from a human. Wow. The label goes on, we've got the technology right at the door, and that technology is going to already tell us where it's from, what possibly it could be for that particular customer, um, and we'll already be in our warehouse management system. That's incredible. Yeah. So those are things that I think, from a larger scale, it's already being done. Yeah. But like, how do we now de- define it? How do we implement it? How do we pay for it? Um, for it to go into a small third-party logistics um, company. Yeah, I'd love to kind of hear the genesis of um, of Kendall Logan, right? So you had the we, we were almost there. These customers that you had been servicing since they were just their inception. And then you, you build up and you're like, you know what, we're going to do this. And you rent, do you, do you lease a warehouse and then you just start like shipping stuff? Like how did that start? I um, sought out a, a warehouse um, and um, I met, you know, someone else at the time. And, um, you know, I just was seeking out just like how to get started, how to work with um, as well. It probably wasn't my, you know, it wasn't the best place, but it wasn't the worst. It was someone, yes, saying, I'm not using this part of my building, you know. The great part about Indiana, and when people ask me, why do I love living here? I feel like you're gonna find people who can remember how they started. You're gonna find people who are gonna remember it wasn't easy. So you could be that, you know, damn near billionaire right now, but, I think there are people still out there who remember, you know, the hiccups when they got started or the bootstrapping. And um, I've been blessed to meet some of those. And that's just literally how some of my opportunities have come. Of just, you know, not necessarily, you know, taking all I got at once, (laughs) (laughs) but just giving me an opportunity and, and actually, you know, being excited sometimes. I've been blessed to hear the words, I'm excited to see you in the business. I'm excited to see you, you know, taking on this opportunity. Yeah. And I think that comes from relationships, right? Like you, you just from our, our brief, what we're 20, 20, 30 minutes mm-hmm. in right now, like you seem like an expert relationship builder, right? From going to become that 40 year old intern to getting a, an unused slice of somebody's biz or building to start like launching your company out of that comes from relationships and building that like social capital. I, I like to call it, you know, mm-hmm. um, do you have any good tips for the listeners on how to build strong relationships? So I share this right now with my nephew. I have nephews who are in college and I often tell them, um, you know, anyone you meet, talk to them, speak to them. Um, figure out a common 
you know, common denominator. Um, don't just stand in the corner and expect someone to talk to you. Or don't expect someone just to, to, to know what you're thinking. Um, I even share this with my 14-year-old. We have this thing that we say. I always tell her, you're in a safe space. I call it a rectangle when I build out this diagram with her. And then I put a circle right in the middle. And I'm like, your safe space is this circle. But your actual safe space is this huge rectangle. So you don't even know what's on the sides. So I always get out of the car and I always tell her, go kick a corner. Go meet somebody new. Go try something. You're still in that safe space. I think a lot of times people shy away from that because they feel like they're embarrassed to tell their story. They're embarrassed to ask for help. They're embarrassed, or not even embarrassed, but the anxiety of, of feeling comfortable sharing your dream or your vision. Um, again, I give it back to my upbringing. My parents were, I remember, I used to go to Chamber of Commerce meetings. My mom sat on a committee. I would go with her literally when I was like 12, 13 years old. I would go so much, they finally made my own lanyard and gave me a seat at the table because they <laughs> knew awesome. I was coming. Um, so I've always felt comfortable talking to people. Um, I feel like everybody has a story. And if you talk to someone two to three minutes, you're going to find a connector. Yes. You just have to keep building the conversation to build the connector. So for me, I still do that now. Um, if I walk in a room, I might not know anybody when I walk in, but I guarantee you I'm going to figure out a connector. What's one of your favorite stories from your parents uh, growing up that taught you something that you still use today in entrepreneurship? Oh, wow. That's a great question. Um, I don't know. I think for me, I mean, I just had this conversation with my dad just two weeks ago. Like I had a bid in front of me and I felt like I wasn't going to make a lot of money on it, but I felt like it was a relationship that I wanted. And it was the first, it was like me stepping into their door mm -hmm. and I immediately called him and just, he said, hello. And I'm like, so give me a, an example when you took on a customer and you weren't going to make a lot of money off of this <laughs> customer and you still did it and tell me how you were able to maximize it and add some value at it. Or three years later, now you're happy you did it because you still have it and you've made this amount of my money. What was uh, your family business? My parents own a commercial landscaping company mm. and we're still active farmers too. Yeah, what do they farm? So we have beef cattle production and we do crop production. And um, we started back in maybe like 2007, we started doing ornamental tree farming so anything you see on a commercial job site, we actually grow it. And so that allows us to keep our costs low in our landscaping business um, because now we're growing all of our raw materials or the materials for those jobs. And that farm's in North Carolina, right? Yes. Very cool. Is that where you originally grew up? Yes. What was the ecosystem like in, in North Carolina and what other entrepreneurs do you think kind of influenced your journey? So I grew up in a very small town that's probably as big as this table. <laughs> Yes. It's one flashing light. Ooh, um, not even a full stoplight, a no, flashing light. Flashing light. You want up me there. So, um, and it's called Harmony, North Carolina. I do believe it's God's country. <laughs> um, I do believe it's the best place on earth. Um, and people say, where's your best place that you want a vacation? It's on the back of a pickup truck or mm -hmm. sitting on the back patio at my dad's house, looking at the cows or just watching people work around the farm. You know, that's like my heaven. Yeah. Um, anytime I can get to it, I'm there. So I think um, my ecosystem was, it started at home. I lived to the left of my grandparents, to the right of my great-grandparents. Um, every day after school, I went to a space where I actually saw my granddad every day. Um, even living next door, I spent the weekends until my grandmother passed at my grandparents' house. So Friday... Um, my dad would take my little bag across the hill to my grandma's house, and I wouldn't come home until Sunday. Like, and I'm literally next door, but <laughs> the same um, experience my grandmother was given, my cousins who lived 20 to 30 miles away, she afforded me and gave me the same one, even though I was next door. Like, it was never a time, you should go home and get your hair done because I got four other heads to do. Nope. I sat in line just like everybody else. <laughs> um, I woke up and had breakfast, grits with sausage in it every Sunday morning. And um, my granddad had all grandkids after church every Sunday. 
He had all of us, and we went straight back to his house for family dinner. So my ecosystem was built of community, mm-hmm. um, family, our church family. Um, my dad was one of the few um, uh, black business owners in our small community. So I think um, for early ages, for me, it was actually seeing, you know, the hard decisions, but also seeing, and I, I celebrate this with him too, you had a vision 50 years ago. You never would have thought, you know, 50 years later, you would still have employees that have been with you for 30 years. Um, and it's a totally different vibe. When you wake up with a vision and you know you scratch that vision out 50 times or you think of this idea and then you throw, you, you know, throw away that piece of paper and start again. But to know you built a, you took a vision and you made it a business. And now to hear the stories of my dad worked for your dad when he was working building bridges or doing the seating work on new highways when we were growing up in school. Um, to, to know, you know, I always laugh. I always, my little boy is fearless. And I apologize to him every day for putting him in the suburbs because he needs to be in the country. <laughs> um, but to watch him on, you know, we're home and he's on a tractor and or my daughter's on a four-wheeler and I'm like, slow down. I love it when I hear, you know, people say, Leave them alone. You were the same way when you were growing up. You rode the four-wheeler the same way they did. Or you did this, you know. So it's great to just have that that same system around you just to realize, you know, this is exactly what I wanted. You know, I want them to have this experience of understanding family and legacy. And it seems to me you've really built uh, that community here in the Midwest. I've tried. Yeah. I think if we're going to live here and this is going to, I'm going to be home. It's important to me to be involved. It's important to me to be engaged in the community. It's important to me to seek out opportunities so people can not say live through you, but understand and seek to know opportunities are available. And I just want to take away anxiety and fear. So I hope I can be that catalyst sometimes when people can be like, she can do it. She's sharing with us that she made mistakes. She's sharing with us, you know, how she had to navigate and start over. Um, and possibly this didn't work out right or that, but she's still doing it. And, I'm, I mean, in my previous roles, I worked for the Department of Ag, and um, I worked with small farmers. And I sat many times at their tables. And I could identify with them. I could identify with that small farmer, his son works for the farm, you know, his brother, and, and everything they make comes off this little farm. Um, but I could immediately be like, wait, that identifies with me, and it's important to me to help them succeed because that's literally could have been my story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think when you're in certain spaces, I don't care about economics. We all... We all, that could easily be me. And I say that a lot. When I see little boys, I volunteer at some of the schools on the east side. And I live in Hamilton County. And this is true, and I'm very transparent about it, just to say sometimes, like, the resources that my son has access to, he's autistic, is over and beyond. It's, like, incredible. But when I go volunteer 20 miles away, it's like... Why can't I just literally shift all the resources to the left? But what I know is if I shifted my son over to here, he'd be in the same, he'd still be that same little boy. So when I look at some of these kids, sometimes I'm like, that's my son. I'm like, you know, so a lot of me building the ecosystem here and and finding those, it's just the mere fact of how can we make a difference? how can we get engaged? How can we support the community? How can we help build businesses and change some of the trajectory of some of the fear and anxiety of people not coming to the table um, or not even feeling comfortable to know that there's a seat at the table for them? What do you think are some of the bigger opportunities for communities like Indianapolis to have more business owners that look like you or have a background more like you? Um, mm, that, now that's like my... That's like one of my passions right now. <laughs> um, I love that about you. 
Um, oh, yeah. Thank you. For me, I, I'm, I feel like I'm blessed. I'm blessed to have access to certain rooms. I'm blessed because I feel like I'm still learning. But I only can imagine if I didn't have access how hard my learning process would be. Um, I want to close those gaps. Yeah. I want to, and sometimes I might not do it correctly or understand the proper way because I just, I get intense about it because I'm like, this is simple. You know, I just want equitable opportunity. And I think um, I've learned just by sitting in some bedrooms or sitting in some of these spaces where you're like, wow, where's the diversity? You know, it's paper. Paper is anxiety. You know, when there's a stack of forms that you have to fill out to prove that you can actually participate, and it's all a stack of paper, it's like, oh, I'm not filling. People are like, oh, I'm not filling all that out. And I'm like, you should, <laughs> but I get it. Mm-hmm. And I think some of it goes back to just the grassroots. Meet them where they are, sit at their kitchen table with them, and help them get over that anxiety the way we used to do it. Technology has helped, um, but it's still to me, I just feel like I want to figure out ways or just be a part of the change of removing the anxiety. What are some of the ways you've managed your anxiety as you've run into business challenges or things that could have been roadblocks that you turned into hurdles that you leapt over? Well, first of all, my husband probably hears more, or he's had to be, okay, help me figure this out. Or, you're, no, you, you can't go do that tonight because I've got this big whatever. <laughs> so I think watching him, um, how he's navigated has been essential. I still go back to my upbringing. Mm-hmm. Um, I still go back to going to the office every day. In high school, I would get out of school. And I would go straight to my dad's office. And even if it was just me filing or it was just me, my anxiety probably could be a whole lot worse. But I think what helps me is to understand this is only temporary mm-hmm. or this is just right now. Um, one thing I do, I have a notebook and I have a red pen and I don't allow myself to have but so many bad days a year. Mm. So um, I'm really big on that. Tell, tell me how yeah. you do that with the pen and notebook. Um, so I have a calendar and I circle in my calendar when I've had a bad day mm. with this red pen. And I probably give an entire thesis on what was the bad day. And by the end, it's trying to figure out what could have not made it a bad day. Um, but I don't allow myself to have one a month. And if I feel like I have a day that's going that way to be in a bad day, I have to remind myself, listen, you already had one, mm-hmm. you know, last month. If you're on track for, a, like if it's starting out like, oh, this could go to a bad day, how do you I get literally out tell of myself you, before you go to bed tonight, this has to shift to a good day. I love You it. cannot write in a red pen. You cannot pick up the red pen today. Ooh, I love that. So oh um, that's probably real. Um, I have a great group of women, business owners, um, we're fortunate to be a part of a group YPO, and I'm a part of a great forum. And I literally know there are some days when I just feel like I want to release or I'm getting at that level. I'm like, oh, I can't wait to get the forum. <laughs> um, and um, I've been with that same group for almost 10 years. Wow. And we meet every month. And Talk to me about the benefit of peer groups that meet regularly. Oh, it's, it's just as essential to me. Recently, I was at an event, and um, the speaker made a comment. And it's like, we don't think about it, but when we bring certain people around us all the time, it's just as important as water. So in your body and your soul. So she named it that day. She was like, bring your water. Like when you're going somewhere, you need a, that group. You need to also bring your water. You need to also know the people in the room that without a question or a doubt have your back and your front. Um so it's, to me, it's extremely essential. I have um, two of those groups, more or less. Um, people say I have more, but I think I only have, like, a couple. My biggest peer group that I probably talk to daily and know I need that are my brothers. Mm. Um, even though they're in North Carolina, I do believe between 7 and 
eight in the morning or between seven and nine. I got to, I, I might not talk to both of them, but ironically, I'm sure both of them are in the room. So whatever I said to one, the other one's echoing in, in the background. Mm-hmm. And it's like all three of us are having a conversation. That's cool. Um, but I, I think peer groups are very much essential and it helps you. It helps you understand, you know, the ebbs and flows. Um, it also is critical just to know, just to ping pong off people. And it builds a network. I've been blessed to have opportunities, and I'll tell you, it's happened because of that particular network or me building a relationship with that individual person. Um, and I even challenge, like, my, my daughter's 14, and I'm like, you know, with your basketball team, y'all should do practice and pancakes. And she was like, wow, I was like, because you're going to eat pancakes every Saturday morning. So build your team and be that leader mm-hmm. and build this group, you know? So anything that I do, I'm always thinking of like, how do you make it stronger? Yeah. Yeah. And one day it's like at the time she's a, I think a freshman, you said, uh-huh. it's like one day she'll look back and be like, oh, practice and pancakes turns into like founder Fridays or whatever it is, you know, like one day down the road and you're like, oh, that like small and sports are just a great teacher of that, you know, like the small intricate team and how you build chemistry on and off the court, the field, whatever. So I love that. I think for, um, we were just talking about this last night. One thing, so she's a freshman and she played soccer and going in high school and the anxiety of being a freshman in a high school, even though it's not a large high school. Um, luckily with soccer and I, kudos to the coaches, they partner, they put a freshman and a senior together. Um, and her senior has been phenomenal. That's great. And um, even yesterday, I was talking to her senior just by chance. I passed her. And I was like, oh, we're going to miss this game. Or, you know, y'all played really well. And she was like, yeah, I know. You know, um, I was, me and, me and Reese were talking about this. And, I'm, and it made my heart feel good. Because she had been traveling. My daughter had. She had went to the WNBA game mm-hmm. in New York. And to know that she's still communicating you know, with her person, and it was just casual and on their own. It wasn't someone forcing you to be. But I was last telling her, like, and it's just want to identify, like, this person's been real good to you. Mm-hmm. You know, this person has really taken some of the anxiety off of you. Um, but I, I just think as an adult, as entrepreneurs, and when you keep getting that small, that circle smaller, you're going to find your like-minded people, mm-hmm. and they're going to have the same day-to-day issues you are. And they're going to have the good days and the bad days. They're going to need your support, just like you're going to be able to cheerlead for them. So I love your story and I I love this conversation and everything that you're doing with your business, with your community. And I really appreciate you coming here and sharing your story. Oh, no. Thank you, guys. This has been awesome. Thank you. We have uh, just a couple of fun Ooh, segments left. Oh, I'm scared. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. You're not getting out of here that easily. Oh, okay. Uh, I, I have one question in two segments. Yes. I want to run through it. Final, this is this one kind of wrap-up question. I love your, your agricultural farming background. Mm-hmm. If you, if the, I'm going to say the white-collar community. If the white-collar community could learn one thing from our nation's farmers, what would it be? Um, one thing. I think farmers were the first uh, business owners to build succession planning. Oh. Um, to know there's multi-generational farm families, big or small, um, who are literally designing ways to keep their children living on the farm, working on the farm. Um, but when it comes to, I think, entrepreneurs and businesses, I think sometimes we forget and there are a little totem pole because we've had so many other successes making a lot more money. Mm-hmm. But I do think they have designed and probably were one of the first to design and understand the, the reason for having a succession planning. I love great that. Answer. That's a great answer. All right. We have a one segment number one, pretty fun one here. It's called Ship Happens. Okay. All right. We have a couple fun shipping questions to ask you in our segment, Ship Happens. First thing, <laughs> what is the most unusual thing you have ever shipped? Uh, the most unusual thing I've ever shipped. Um, we have shipped, um, we've shipped product like mask or, you know, like um, to like 
a masquerade party <laughs> and <That's cool>. <laughs> <laughs> you're just getting all you're you're kind of questioning like when you're shipping it packaging like who would wear that or, or, or who's going to be the person that's going to have like you, you kind of now want to shift from being the shipper to like the actual event because you want to be in the room because you want to identify and see like what person has this on <laughs> or you know so that was like a fun day because I'm like and who is gonna or what is this or you know what kind of party is this you know <laughs> so okay um what is the furthest location you've shipped something um the furthest location we shipped something is probably to China. Um, I think we have shipped, um, yeah, we've shipped um, to China. Okay, that's, that's, I mean, the other side of the world, it's tough to get further than that. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Um, the moon. Have you ever shipped anything to a celebrity's house? Um, I don't think I've shipped to a celebrity's house. Um, I think I've shipped to like a celebrity's mom's house. Oh, and um, I didn't know it at the time. I think we were shipping some product and then it was brought up like later on who the product was going to. And then they shared like who the celebrity was. Oh, that's pretty fun. OK, so celebrities mom. House. Yeah. And then do you have one shipping quick shipping horror story? Um, shipping horror stories would be you get a huge pack out request expedited need it the next day and it could be something that would take a week and you literally are trying to figure out how to do it in a 12 hour period there we go so yeah i have had those <laughs> oh absolutely like literally understand i've gone home at a certain hour to have dinner with my family to know i'm going back to work and possibly knowing i'm coming back just enough time to make sure my kids are getting off to school the next morning so, yeah Heck but yeah. that's a part of it, yeah. you know, and if you're grinding in the beginning of it, you got to do what you got to do. Amen. Um, okay. Wait, one more question on the, sh the shipping part and then we'll go to our lightning round. Where did the name Kendall Logan come from? Um, Kendall is my daughter's middle name and Logan is my son's middle name. Ah, so um, that. that's where it came from. And for me, it's, I still, everything I do goes back to family. Mm -hmm. um, and I always think of what's my why. Mm -hmm. And my why is I want my kids to have options. I don't want them to have to wake up and go have to work for somebody um, because they can't fulfill or can't have options. So I want them to have options of working for someone or in a corporate or professional setting. But I also know that, you know, their parents built a business that they could actually become entrepreneurs and then they could pass it on. I always live by the notion that my grandparents and my great-grandparents were working for me before I existed. I love that. And um, that's literally, well, I have a twofold in my why. My why is to, I don't want my kids, I want my kids to have opportunity. I don't want my kids' dreams every derailed because a banker has the right to say no. Um, and I want you, if you need to work with that banker, that's fine, but your dreams will not be stopped or derailed because somebody's sitting on the other side of a desk and they just have the power of telling you no. And my second one is, I know my great-great-grandparents, my great-grandparents, and my grandparents, and I can go back to 1904, the first farmland that was purchased in our family was when my family was freed as slaves. Um, they were thinking of me, they were planning, and they made sacrifices so I could have a great life. Um, I want my great-grandchildren to talk about me as an everyday name, just like I can tell you about Herman Sharp, just like I can tell you about Raymond Holmes, just like I can tell you about Burgess Bailey. These gentlemen I never met, I never sat in a room with, but I can tell you how my Papa Burgess liked his water and how he put his shoes on every day. I can tell you about my Papa Raymond and the way he made his perfect lemonade and how he built his house and people were watching him build a home thinking he was building it for somebody else because they couldn't understand a black man could build this kind of house for himself. Um, I can tell you the story of Herman Sharp where he stood and sat at the bottom of his land and he never drove, he walked everywhere. Um, but when Duke Power decided to put power through this rural area, mountain area in between Wilkes County and Iredell County in North Carolina, how he sat in a chair and he stopped them because he felt like they were devaluing his property. 
So I can tell you the stories over and over and over about those three men as if I knew them. So to me, I want to live a life that's about family and about my family legacy because I want my great-grandchildren to be able to talk about me the same way. That's amazing. I love that. That's so powerful. Thank Uh, you. Spectacular. I'm going to switch it up, and it is time. I, I feel like we need to drop these mics really quick because that was amazing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was awesome. We do wrap out every show with a lightning round. Right. Super quick. Three questions all about Indiana. I just want to say that was so powerful, and I'm like, I got the goosebumps. Toph always says it, goosebumps. I have the goosebumps <laughs> listening to you talk about your family, your heritage. I know that that you're going to leave a lasting legacy just by the way we've spoken for 45, 50 minutes, and I just know that that you're making a huge impact in the lives of your family and the broader Indiana, Indianapolis, Central, Midwest community. So oh, thank, thank you. you for that. Um, lightning round. Here we go. Three questions, quick answers. Outside of the amazing entrepreneurial ecosystem, what is Indiana known for? In my mind, it's known for sports. Boom. But I will say, so I'm a big sports fanatic. Um, you'll see me at games by myself because if certain teams aren't playing, my husband's like, are you going to the game tonight? And I'm like, if a game is playing, I am there. Um, but it's known for just, I say, opportunity for ground up, start up, bootstrap. As long as you've got the energy and you're willing to find your grit, you can get it. Heck yeah. So that's what I also tell people Indiana is known for. Heck yeah. What is a hidden gem in Indiana? Hidden gem in Indiana. I think if people aren't from here, the hidden gem are restaurants. Ooh, one in particular? Um, one in particular. So I'm a beef snob um, because I grew up in beef cattle. So I find myself becoming a beef snob on like my steaks. And it's not before I got here. I've been this way my whole life. It's, you can't change it. <laughs> um, it's just how I am. But I think my, I mean, I, I, I'm, I love like a 1933 I love still, though, a homegrown restaurant where you see that owner sitting in the back cooking mm-hmm. and he's a part of, you know. So, like, in Westfield, we have Park Street, so we got these homegrown restaurants. Um, so anytime you'll see me and my family, we're there. I just love to, like, you know, like, we go to Chiba a lot. That's a sushi spot. And I love seeing Keith and his wife and his kid. It, it's a family business. So it's one of those, like, you want to support because you know how everything rolls. You know it's important. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's, a lot of times I can identify with myself. So I love that. But I think our restaurants. Amazing. And Chiba West- and Westfield. Chiba, Westfield. Got to go. Yeah. Um, and finally, final question. Who is someone that we need to keep on our radar? Someone who is doing big things. Someone who's doing big things. Okay, so that's it. I can't answer one. So can I do a 1A, 1B? 1A, 1B. All right, so... Um, the person that I probably would just tell their story of just where they come from as a kid and their success now, I happen to be married to him. So I am his big fan, biggest <laughs> fan, um, is my husband, Jimmy. I think, um, I think his story of just how he grew up, um, he grew up, um, single parent, really small town, not necessarily knowing or just the access and resources. I always say we're different. So if he's an A, I'm a Z. Um, we've done the personality test where we've been on, where's your spouse? And you, can you touch your spouse? How far away from you? So it's like your spouse is all here over here. That's us. Um, but the grit of just not knowing where your life would turn out, but you also know how it could have turned out. And the fire to keep on trying to understand and learn and not necessarily... He's, he's, not a, he's not an extrovert, but he's not an introvert either. He'll tell you somebody he's an introvert, but he's not. Um, <laughs> but stepping in those rooms and being in, uh, with his intellect, I'm just always a fan of. And I'm always, like, throwing him, like, out there. Be like, go, go. And he's like, no, I'm not going. I'm like, oh, you know, you're going. I already bought your ticket. You'll be yes. there. Um, the second person is probably dear, uh, dear to me, um, I would say, is a fire on top of a fire. Um, is my girlfriend, Jana Hegman. I think uh, for a business owner, a female, that I probably ping pong off of 
when she could easily be like, girl, I got a zillion problems of my own right now. Mm -hmm. And I'm taking this 30 minutes with you. And I'm forever grateful to her for that. But I, I love her. I love her. Um, she woke up one day and said, I want to start a business. And it was around housing and nonprofit housing. And there wasn't one that was basically just one for her to just say, I'm going to go duplicate. So I am always in awe to sit and watch how she, I mean, I was in the room with her when she was doing her sketch and doing her discovery. And I saw her pivot um, numerous times and to see her success and to see what she's doing around the Midwest, but especially here in the state of Indiana is one that I am, every time I go to a new facility or new building, or I hear about, oh, I'm going to do this, or I'm going to consider, you know, this next space. I always reflect to her, you know, I remember us sitting at the restaurant one day, and you're telling me I'm considering. <laughs> so to see, you know, this multi-million dollar company now, years later, um, she is literally going to take over the world sometime. What's yeah. the name of the business? TNH Investment. TNH Investments. All right. Might have to be, uh, that might be foreshadowing of a future guest. Yeah. Yeah. But she's super cool. But I I do. um, I always think it's it's great to find people who you can, they might not have your same resource background. And believe me, to see their success and then know how it started, I'm just a very little peanut on the wall. Um, But I think it's, it's so important to just seek out people that you can be like, just drop your shoulders with, take the weights off, you know, and just be like, oh, my weight, my, my shoulders have been heavy because I couldn't release this or I couldn't talk about this to certain groups. And then when you find those certain groups, it just, you're such at ease. I love that. Thanks for sharing that. Oh, you're welcome. Thank and thanks you. for sharing your story here today. No, this was awesome. It's Thank you guys. Really for inspiring me. what you're yeah. doing. Oh, thank you. I, I mean, this was just a, a spectacular conversation. Learn so much about logistics and just about building strong relationships, strong community, um, and leaving a, a legacy. I feel like people don't spend a lot of time thinking about the legacy that they're one day going to leave behind to their family, their friends, their community. And the perspective you brought to that was just very, very, very powerful. I I will say that's a wrap on this episode of Get In. (laughs) But if you are listening and you want your startup or your organization represented, send three large T-shirts to 16 Tech addressed to Nate at Powder Keg. And we will talk about your your startup, give you a minute ad read and give you a little shout out. Um, Thanks for listening. Thank you. This has been Get In, a Powder Keg production in partnership with Elevate Ventures. And we want to hear from you. If you have suggestions for a guest or a segment, reach out to Matt or Nate on LinkedIn or on email. To discover top tier tech companies outside of Silicon Valley in hubs like Indiana, check out our newsletter at powderkeg.com newsletter. And to apply for membership to the Powder Keg executive community, check out powderkeg.com premium. We'll catch you next time and next week as we continue to help the world get in. Since you just listened to this podcast, you might be thinking about starting one for your company. Lucky for you, our partners over at Casted have you covered. Casted is the first and only podcast and video marketing platform made specifically for B2B brands. I love this about them. The platform makes it possible to publish, syndicate, amplify, and measure the value of your podcast and video content. In fact, we use it for our podcast here at Powder Keg. And if you're a startup, You should listen up because Casted for Startups is definitely for you. They are offering exclusive deep discounts of up to 82% off retail price for qualifying startups. Connect with Casted at casted.us slash powderkeg.